dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. Hey there, and welcome to Save This City Podcast. It's episode 14 of the podcast, and it's your Tuesday edition, where we cover Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl, and this week is no exception. We're covering Legends of Tomorrow, season one, episode three, entitled Blood Ties, written by Chris Fedek and Mark Guggenheim, and directed by Dermot Downs. And we are also covering Supergirl, season one, episode 13, for the girl who has everything with a story by Andrew Kreisberg and a teleplay by Ted Sullivan and Derek Simon and directed by, well, looky there, Dermot Downs. Um, Dermot was busy that week, evidently. Well, I'm sure they didn't film him at the same time, but he had a big week uh, as far as being on screen. At any rate, my name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like your back episodes in streaming or downloadable form. And you can also find our social media and contact links and podcatcher links. And please take the time to leave me a review on iTunes or on Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you use. It's very helpful to me. I'll even thank you right here if you do so in this portion of the podcast. As far as if you have any feedback or anything like that regarding any of these episodes or any past episodes or about the podcast in general, you can send an email to save this city podcast, all one word, at gmail.com, or you can tweet at save this city pod, or you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840, and I'll play your voicemail on the podcast as well. That's enough about the podcast itself. Let's get right into talking about this stuff. First, we'll go with The Legends of Tomorrow, again entitled Blood Ties. I have to say that I was really surprised that this very next Legend episode featured Sarah's bloodlust. Um, Just after we had the whole thing about uh, Malcolm Merlin saying that Sarah's bloodlust must be cured... Because she was whole. She was put back together by Constantine's soul retrieval or whatever. And um, Donald, our friend who sometimes appears on this podcast, he pointed that out to me on Twitter. Um, It was something that uh, I considered just as soon as I saw this episode as well. So what do we take from that? I think there's a couple of possibilities. You can either say that Malcolm Merlin really doesn't know anything about bloodlust You could say that he's possibly lying to Thea and Oliver about his knowledge about bloodlust. Or you could say that the showrunners uh, are just not keeping continuity between the different television shows, which I certainly hope not, because they've already, it seems to me, put a lot of stuff into this Legends series um, that kind of points in the direction of the Arrow series as well. So I certainly hope that that's not the case. Um, I'm hoping that it's just uh, we've yet to figure out what Malcolm's extent of knowledge about the bloodlust is, whether he knows more than he's saying or whether he doesn't really know anything. Uh, but anyway, for now, until we get more, I'll just go with, you know, 
what we've got, and obviously we see Sarah dealing with the bloodlust herself. And I appreciated her kind of parallel development with Rip Hunter and the Garib story in this episode because it was really about having the ability to take a life or the ability to not take a life. Um, that really kind of put both of those characters on a similar trajectory in this episode. And, and there were some good scenes for both of them. Uh, either one of them carrying more weight in one scene than another. Um, but it was still all about the ability to take a life or to choose to not to take a life. And by episode's end, Sarah, you know, seemingly can take it out on the floor rather than a guy's head. That She's decided that she's going to fight her bloodlust. But Thea has been fighting her bloodlust as well. So we know what's happened to Thea in Arrow. Does this mean that Sarah at some point could possibly suffer the same fate as Thea? Time will tell, I guess. Um, and as far as the parallel to Rip... Um, I love that they addressed Rip Hunter's uh, time thing with Savage. Uh, it's kind of a great little ring of time itself because uh, Rip comes after Savage because Savage killed his wife and his child. And we find out in this episode that Savage really finds out about Rip's wife and child uh, because of Rip coming after him. So it's kind of a nice little uh, ring of time thing going on there with that little bit of knowledge. And that kind of brings me to some more time travel stuff with uh, Snart. And I was really lucky over the course of the weekend to be watching a series called The Universe, uh, which is often featured on the History Channel. And uh, they were playing a particular episode that explored time travel. And I think it explained a lot of the ways that Berlanti's universe is treating time travel. Because I, I've been having a lot of trouble understanding it or believing it or whatever. I've been, you know, I've been putting up a lot of questions about time travel because time travel usually scrambles my brain. But this show kind of explained it really well to me. If you think of time as an arrow moving straight ahead, then you can't go back in time. If you can go back in time, then that means you have a chance of creating paradoxes. And the universe must deal with these paradoxes. And there's multiple ways in which the universe can deal with paradoxes. One way is the multiverse, which um, seems to be what we've been getting in Flash a lot. Flash goes back in the past and then he changes um, things, and then we have a shifting. Um, and at the time that he changed things, from that point forward, everybody steps into this new universe um, where there's there's just a whole bunch of possibilities that can happen with each decision that is made um, by Barry or whoever else is traveling back in time. And the multiverse uh, seems to be present in Flash a lot. Um, another way, which we saw in this episode and uh, perhaps even in the Rip Hunter story as well, is self-correction. Because last week, I asked why Stein wouldn't remember having seen a time ship after he affected his own timeline. And the multiverse concept says that the second you affect your past, you enter into the multiverse where the change took place. 
Well, he still has the memories of his universe from which he came, not the one that he made, I guess, is how you would explain that he wouldn't have memories of seeing the time ship. Whereas the multiverse that he created, um, that particular Stein will have those memories. What's a good way to explain this? Uh, It's like, uh, let's say you travel to Canada, but you live in the U.S., but when you return to the U.S. from Canada, the U.S. is suddenly named Germany. It doesn't make you not remember that you lived in a country that used to be named the U.S. It's just that now, even though you're going to the same home and to the same house to finally get a good night's sleep after partying in Canada all week, uh, your country home is now called Germany, I guess, is uh, the way you can look at Stein's situation. Your surroundings are affected, but your memories of your surroundings are not. Um... Then we have what happened with Snart, which is another paradox solution, which is correction. And Snart has only, I guess, minutely affected the way his father got arrested. Um, None of his memories changed because he really essentially has changed nothing. I mean, maybe he's wandering around with this memory of some strange guy when he was a little kid visiting his house late one night. But that would be overshadowed by the fact that his dad went to prison. Obviously, that's what you would remember. And and then, of course, you would remember later that when he came home from prison, that he beat him, uh, his father beat him, and his father beat his sister anyway. Those would be the things that you would remember, not how or when your father got arrested, probably. Um, part of me wonders if all of the warnings to Barry about messing with timelines, even last year, was to set up this kind of time travel story that we have here in Legends. You know, don't mess with the timeline, um, because one of two things will happen. It'll either not work, or you could significantly affect things. Anyway, uh, as far as Snark goes, I I liked him standing up to his dad in that scene in the house, and I thought that Rory and and, and Jax were, were good sidekicks for this little side of the story, Mainly because you have to have Stein and Jack separated sometimes, especially in the 70s. It feels like a character like Firestorm would be pretty invincible. Uh, And so in order to make things kind of a fair fight uh, between our guys and and Savage's bad guys, um, sometimes you can't have Firestorm in the equation. Um, Speaking of splitting Jacks and and Stein up, uh, let's talk about Stein and, and Ray and Kendra, I guess. I'm glad we, first of all, I'm glad we do have Kendra back. I, I can't tell if she has all of Shayara's memories. Um, it seems like she certainly does have a lot more than she did. I wonder how she was in tune with that ceremony. I'm thinking that was just due to her connection with Carter and and their connection across time. And the fact that evidently they're still kind of taking in Carter's life force in a way, it seems like Savage is still consuming it, so she's probably still connected to that. Maybe that's what allowed her uh, to get uh, in there. But if you have any ideas about that, feel free to send me an email or leave me a voicemail or what have you. Um, at the end, at the grave, she does tell Carter to come back to her. So maybe somewhere throughout the course of this season, they will find the next Khufu um, somewhere down the line. And as, as for the Ray and, and Stein stuff, uh, itself. I mean, that whole teamwork theme comes up here 
a lot in this episode, you know, how everybody seemingly branched off and they don't get a whole lot done when they're apart, but they get a little bit done when they're together and they decide to work all together at the end, very moral of the story stuff. But, you know, it was kind of exemplified also in the Ray and Stein stuff. And it's semi-cheesy. A lot of it was semi-cheesy. But, you know, from the whole teacher-student relationship to the stuff about Ray's fiance that was killed. Um, I have to say that I didn't really mind it too much. Um, I just didn't feel like that its storyline was quite as good as the other storylines with like Sarah and Rip and with uh, Snart and Rory and, and, and Jax. Um, but again, as far as the end goal goes, getting Kendra back on her feet, then we've got a, a mission accomplished. And and just a couple of last notes around Savage himself. He evidently, I guess, can be incapacitated to a, a death-like state, but then he heals and rises again, is what he says. And uh, I suppose that even the first episode kind of explained that as long as a little bit of him is still around, then he can he can be resurrected. But this helped more sufficiently explain how Savage survived that whole Flash Arrow crossover, I guess. There was no dagger present for one. And Merlin made off with some of his remains. So there's still more to that about Merlin's side of things that I feel like that we need to know. Hopefully all of that and the bloodlust stuff will be further examined either in Arrow or here. And uh, again, our buddy Donald, who's on this podcast sometimes, he pointed out to me on Twitter that maybe we have learned how Damien Dark is unaged in the 70s, right? Back in the 1970s. Maybe it's due to this blood ceremony that we saw Savage perform. Um, I still don't see that really explaining how he would have escaped Merlin's explosive arrows in the Arrow series, but... This blood ceremony would certainly explain his, you know, his seeming same age back in 1970-whatever and in the present day in Star City. And again, I'll just say, if they're keeping that kind of continuity between Legends and Arrow, or if they're using Legends and Arrow to kind of inform each other, then I have to hope that the bloodlust thing is something that's being maintained as well, so... Um, we'll just have to see how that gets played out between these two series, I guess, and hopefully we'll get some kind of answer between the two of them, if not directly in one or the other. Overall, the story was fairly exciting. I mean, it had a lot of action. They always do. Um, I really, I love all the Sarah fighting stuff. Katie Lotz is just a badass. This episode did have some decent character development, especially for uh, Rip and for Snart. Um, it had a little bit of humor in it, a little bit of cheesiness in it, just about everything you might expect in a superhero show. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I'm keeping my comments brief because I'm about to go on tour, and I have to record this pretty quick and just get it out there. Uh, but I'm going to go with around an 8 this week. The only thing that worries me um, a little bit about this series is that if Savage is the only villain that they just keep chasing through time, it feels like it's going to get old to me. They They need to introduce some other elements into the series. And if they just keep going after Savage, then my ratings will probably get lower uh, as we go along just out of boredom. Because uh, you can't kill the guy. 
So, uh, and they're not going to kill him in episode four. Um, so it just seems like, you know, we, we've got to find some other things, uh, for these guys to fight along the way. And then I'll be okay and be able to judge the episodes a little bit better. But if it just keeps being them against Savage, then, uh, you're probably going to see my ratings creep down from week to week. And I guess that's about it for Legends. Let's go ahead and talk about Supergirl now. For the girl who has everything. Now, I'm sure for you comic book fans, uh, the title of this episode alone got you going uh, when you heard about it. Because uh, for the man who has everything, that's uh, a story from the Superman comics that's pretty well known and pretty well loved. Have to admit, I'm not a comic book guy, so I really wasn't aware of it until I did some reading over the weekend about this particular adaptation of the story uh, done by Andrew Kreisberg. Um, but as I understand it, now having seen this episode, there there, there was evidently quite a few similarities. Um, as I said, it's, it's probably why they had a big gun like Kreisberg actually do the story and then they had a couple of guys do the teleplay. Um, but like the plant idea... The fantasy of, of a happier place or a place that's longed for, uh, those are very similar to the uh, comic book episode, evidently. Um, the people involved aren't. I, I think there are um, a lot more of the uh, traditional superheroes involved in the Superman story. Um, but everybody kind of takes their place. Um, maybe you could call Alex Batman. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, there are a lot of family themes, uh, tied into the comic book story as well, from what I understand. So if that's the case, then they did pay that off really well in this episode, because this episode seemed to have very much a, uh, this is my family kind of theme. One biggie in the episode, of course, is the fact that we lose Astra. I did not see that coming at all. I figured she would be a season end kind of baddie. Um, but I love that they made her think about family too. And when you think about it, one side of Kara's family has lost to the other side of Kara's family. Her Earth family has won over her Kryptonian family, not just in the fantasy, but also in this whole thing about Astra. There's a lot of darkness, actually, in this episode too, uh, which I'll get to in a minute. But first, I just want to say I'm glad they didn't do the whole everyone's in love with Kara thing this week. Can I just say that I had a bet with uh, at Michael underscore Aaron on Twitter saying where should I put the over under on number of people in love with Kara this week? Should I make it a love octagon? I think that's what I said. He said go hexagon. We got to wait for Barry to get back. Uh, that was great. I will say that this about it though. I'm having a hard time with everybody putting their personal lusts aside just for the convenience of a bigger story. It does seem like character in continuity again, um, I, which is why I wish they would have never just gone down this route in the first place. Like in the case with James and Wynn, you just have, you know, all of a sudden all their things are, are put aside. They're, they're friends. They're all family with Kara now. Um, of course, on the other hand, the alternative is to just have the crap. So I'll trade a little bit of character continuity for not having to groan at every longing look that every male in the show gives Kara. Uh, the only thing that I ask now is 
writers, if you're going to go this route, can we just leave it here in this way and move on from there, please? Okay, ran over. Back to the darkness. There was some darkness in this episode. Um, The greatest love demonstrated this week was the love that Alex has for Kara. And there were fantastic Alex scenes this week. Alex definitely was my favorite character this episode. Um, Okay, admittedly, some of it was a little bit cheesy, like, you know, your typical CBS kind of cheesy. Alex pleading to, like, a computer-generated hologram. That probably was not the best moment of the episode for Alex or for Shadow Lee. Um, But some of the things that were revealed in that moment were, were great. I mean, about how Alex as a kid resented Kara for being inserted into her home in her childhood. And I thought that that paid off really well in the whole mind merging sequences. When you see that over the course of time, Alex really has changed from that girl who may have been a little resentful of Kara because Alex is basically pleading for Kara to recognize the dream that was around her. And when Kara killed Astra, I mean, that was a bit of a shock. I mean, maybe she didn't really have any choice, but the only problem is, as far as that goes, is it now creates a a, a secret, which is something that you have to have seemingly in every Berlanti show as well, is uh, you have to have a secret that somebody is, one protagonist is holding out from another protagonist. Um, so that's the secret between Hank and Alex as to who actually killed Astra. Uh, I did find it touching that, that Hank, the reason why he said it was him was because he wanted Kara to continue to think of Alex as Kara's hero, as her Supergirl. Um, that was a nice little payoff for Alex, but it's still going to create, um, some problems down the line. You just know that. At the most inopportune time, of course, because that's the way television works. Um, Then we have this, like, big plan that Nam and Astra have been cooking up, this myriad thing. Um, Who knows what that will be in its final phase, but I I guess the idea is basically to rid the Earth of humanity. Uh, So I guess it can't really be for that, can you? You You can't really root for that. Because Astra had seemed to be conflicted, in a lot of uh, in a lot of episodes, I, I had hoped that the Kryptonians' plan wasn't necessarily pure evil; that there might be some gray area in it. But the fact that Astra's gone um, and, and Nam is calling humanity a disease, uh, I guess I, I can toss that hope out the window now. And of course, they're using Lord's servers to do all of this. Um, that seemed a way to work him into the evil plan, uh, whether he's willing or not. Actually, I, I gotta say that I, I found Lord to be really nothing more than just kind of a distraction in this episode other than to, you know, getting to see Alex kick his ass a little bit. That was all right. I didn't mind that. Um, as for Kara and, and her dream state, that stuff was pretty interesting because seeing her resistance, you know, she recognizes that something's not right at the beginning, but obviously this, this mercy plant has a great power and it just keeps reducing her resistance down to nothing. Basically by the time that Alex uh, gets there is able to do the mind merge and, and get there. Um, That plant was pretty powerful, 
But since it's all an illusion, you know, you'd hope that there would be something about Krypton that you could take away from this as knowledge. But since it's all an illusion, there really isn't. One thing from an acting standpoint, I will say that uh, Benati does a great job of doing the differences between Alora and Astra. Uh, kudos to her for that, um, because you can definitely see them, even though they look exactly alike, you can definitely see them as being two completely different characters. And usually someone that you all know that I just love, love, love to talk about is Cat Grant. But she's really just kind of a footnote in this episode. I, I find that they are, again, inconsistent with her character, depending on what role they need her to fill from week to week. And again, this is nothing against Callista Flockhart. Um, even though I hate the way she's being used, I love everything that she does. Um, but if they were just going to have her be shallow again, why develop her at all in the first place? That That's my only question. It just seemed to be pointless. Um, and I, I got to say, even the whole Benoist trying to act like Hank trying to act like Kara, that that just didn't really work all that well for me either. Um, oh, well, it was an attempt to put some humor in an otherwise fairly heavy episode, but it, it just, for me personally, it just didn't work. Hopefully it did for you, um, but not for me. And other little wrap-ups, I guess, at the end, Kara and Wynn are back to being friends, which kind of defeats the whole point of Wynn's arc since even the very beginning of the series when he was going to try and ask her out before uh, he discovered she was Supergirl. Uh, I guess James and Wynn are friends, which kind of kills the sting of any love triangle. Um, Lucy's nowhere to be seen. Uh, I don't know if the actress just isn't available all the time or what, but, you know, seems like she just drops in when they need a little love angst. So no love angst this week, so we don't need Lucy. I'm kind of hoping that the writers were getting too many complaints about all of the love crap and, and they finally got to a point now we're finally catching up to a point where they've decided to dial it back a little bit. But then again, it could just be this week it was put aside simply so that they could tell the, the greater part of the comic book story. Um, either way, like I said before, if, if it could just stay this way from here on out, uh, I'd love it, um, but I, I don't know if it will. And I guess that's all I'm going to say about Supergirl. Overall, for me, this episode did much, much better than last week's debacle, Bizarro. Bizarro was just flat-out bizarro. It was stupid uh, when you compare it to this episode. This was a really good Alex up, and I, I love me some Alex. And it, it was a good... Yep. I also, in terms of uh, setting up we'll, what will be some kind of, you know, like myriad showdown between Nam and Kara, probably towards the end of the season. Um, I'm going to go ahead and rate this one an 8.3 uh, as compared to what was I in the sixes last week. So that's how much better this episode was. And I don't know if that's attributed to, to Kreuzberg or to the fact that they had a actual comic book story that they were basing this on. Or the fact that they just lost all of the love stuff this week, pretty much. Um, at any rate, I was much more pleased with this episode. It restored a little bit of my faith in the series and will keep me watching for at least one more week. 
And that's going to do it for this week's Save the City podcast. I will not be back at the end of the week. I am on tour with the Modern American Dance Company doing a production called Liquid Roads. We're in Texas all week. Uh, I won't get a chance to see the Flash or Arrow episodes. So we will return one week from the time you hear this, Tuesday, uh, with a coverage of everything up to that point. Flash, Arrow, Legends, and Supergirl. And until then, remember, save the city podcast at gmail.com, 314-669-1840, or at Save the City Pod. This is Matt. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We'll see you next week. Bye. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at savethiscitypod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use. <laughs>